1: Hello and happy new year from your go-to Newcastle United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. It's Pod on the Time. <laughs> i turn into a game show host there, sorry. <laughs> it's Pod on the time coming up on the show this week. Hitting the January sales hard. When is four points from five games good news? And how much of a punt will Eddie take against Cambridge? Nice, lovely, lovely... uh Cambridge punting reference there at the top from our producer Ollie lovely stuff happy new year everybody welcome to 2022 on pod on the time I'm Taylor Payne and after a shockingly brief break we're back uh, with the athletics Newcastle correspondent Chris Woff happy new year Chris uh, and have you brought some imaginary cold across the threshold of this podcast
2: Happy New Year, Taylor. No, I've just brought my general uh, non-sunny disposition with me to, uh, to to just to to lighten everyone's mood yeah. ahead of the New Year.
1: You really are the human equivalent of drizzle, aren't you, Chris? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Perfect way of describing me, yeah.
1: yeah absolutely. Uh, how was your break, anyway? Did you have a decent Christmas?
2: I had a decent Christmas, thank you, yes. It was um, It was strange in that it, I knew it wasn't going to be sort of as manic as normal anyway because of the fact that Christmas was on a weekend, so there wasn't, like, the three games and sort of six days of the But yeah. then, obviously, Newcastle United then managed to give me... Additional time off, albeit in difficult circumstances, and I hope that anyone who caught COVID at the club is all right and didn't. But that that meant that there wasn't enough to actually go to either uh, Liverpool or Southampton to cover those games. So in that sense, yes, it was uh, it was quite a nice nice period. How about for you, Taylor?
1: It, it, well. It, it was shite, Chris, if I'm, being, <laughs> if I'm being completely honest. It was pretty rubbish. I managed to get the dreaded lurgy uh, the day before Christmas Eve. Uh, so spent most of that time in bed uh, on my own, which was a shame. But, you know, I did get to have Christmas 2.0. Uh, this time it's personal. Uh, a couple of days later, where once I was out of uh, isolation and uh, the kids had a great time and and it was all fun and games so I'm back to full fitness now except I have I've been left with a kind of croaky um, Barry White sort of baritone I don't know if you can hear that but it's my voice has gone very deep suddenly and I don't know if that's a good thing because maybe it'll bring a little bit of sort of audio velvet to the podcast
2: yeah I mean the Barry White comparison I wouldn't necessarily say it I don't know'm sure you get the same sort of, yes <laughs> sexual feelings that maybe you get when you listen to uh Barry White, but yes. Well, I'm, I'm sorry Four. that you had a, you had such a crap Christmas, but I'm glad that you're on the mend.
1: Well, we've got to be thankful for those things, haven't we, Chris? Uh, anyway, let's crack on. A couple of little messages, some housekeeping, Chris, to get through before we uh, before we go any further. Uh, subscribe to The Athletic now with a 33% discount at theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod, uh, and you'll get full access to all our great writing and ad-free versions of The Athletic's podcast, including George's review of 2021 and Chris's exclusive interview with Joe Willock, and much more. Uh, so make your way to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastlepod and sign up for a third off a subscription right now. Uh, and look, we need to address something before we go any further, Chris. Yeah, and this is serious. We've had a couple of messages from people who've refused to subscribe to The Athletic because, and get this, Chris, because they love the Manscaped ads too much and they don't want to lose them.
2: Which is, I mean, it's just, it's almost as if they just enjoy the pain that we have to go through, and we do them as well. It's just like that, that is that the, the the sadistic element of our listeners there. This
1: is not why we do this. Let's get frankly right. This is all a bit insulting, isn't it? Let's be honest. And George is already worried that this stupid podcast uh, is overshadowing his real job, which is as a very serious football writer. And we all love a bollock joke or a ball gag now and again, but let's be serious, yeah. Just to be completely serious and completely honest with you, subscribers still get free access to adequate versions of the podcast because everybody does. So you can get the best of both worlds with a subscription. And sometimes good stuff doesn't get mentioned in the podcast for various reasons, sorry, scheduling, et cetera, um, such as Chris's excellent exclusive interview uh, with Joe Willock, which has been on the site for over a week now. Chris, do you want to tell us a little bit more about that?
2: Yeah, so I interviewed him uh, early in in December, and obviously for for Joe Willock, 2021 was in some ways he mirrored sort of Newcastle United's year in that he had major highs and then also major lows, but but even more so in terms of the, in terms of the for lo- the longevity of his highs, he went those seven games scoring those seven goals, wonderful loan spell that he had, and he then became. Newcastle's only signing of the. In fact, he was Newcastle's only signing in the whole of 2021. The only player they signed, they signed him twice. I signed him on loan, then signed him permanently. And since then, it hasn't. Quite worked out for him. He's had fitness issues. He had COVID during the summer. He hasn't scored yet. He's been in and out of the team. But then since Eddie Howe's come in, he's become an integral member of that of that midfield. The midfield two with John Joe Shelby, and he still hasn't quite found that form yet. But he was very honest in what he was saying. He, he's 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 very interested in the, the, the way that he talks about uh, his his beliefs and the way that he goes about things and processes things. And he's very close to his both his brothers who play uh, in the football league and also his father, who's his agent, and how basically he hasn't lost belief in himself and he goes into that quite in depth he says that there's been very difficult times but he still believes that the times will come back where he will play well and he he, he still thinks that he's doing the the right things he still goes through his same routines every weekend and that he's come to Newcastle for the long run it wasn't just for the first few months of this season and so that he's hopeful that he can build and grow with the club so yeah covered a a whole range of topics with him and uh, he was very open and honest in that interview
1: brilliant stuff. Uh, Chris spoke to Joe just before Christmas uh, and his brilliant write-up of the article is, is on The Athletic right now, like I said. Unfortunately for him, Chris shared the full conversation with our producer uh, and we have a clip that is just slightly embarrassing for our 83-year-old intrepid reporter. Uh, he has Joe Willock on his midfield partner, John Joe Shelby.
2: John Joe's a brilliant player. You know, he's a player that we call him the OG. You know, he's, he's been around for a long time. You know, and he's someone that can help me a lot. Um, looking to him with so much experience. He, he speaks to me, he, he tells me different things about the game and he's someone that um, I look up to a lot, you know, in the team. So hopefully uh, we can um, strike up a brilliant partnership, as you said, and, and sort of
1: control the game.
2: What does OG stand for? Uh, <laughs> it stands for like, <laughs> it's just like a veteran, like, not a veteran, but like a, oh, an older old person in the group, you know, like he's been around for a long time. So is it like old geezer or something? I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> old geezer, but
1: yeah. yeah. Oh Chris, you absolute
2: prat! That, that that massive street cred I had before <laughs> has now just gone massively downhill, hasn't it? Honestly, I didn't have a clear, I didn't have a clue what it meant. And then George knew embarrassingly. I messaged George afterwards I, knew after I did, George. George he knew what George was. Um, but oh, no, Chris. <laughs>
1: Oh, well, Chris, you, you are the that, least street fair. person I have ever met in my life as well. So that's perfect. <laughs> that's absolutely amazing. Oh, my God. Oh, I wish George was here. <laughs> I would have really enjoyed his reaction to that. <laughs> oh, bless Joe Willock for being so lovely as well. Anyway, oh, God, we're going to be back uh, in just a second with some transfer talk uh, with Jack Pitbrook.
3: Come on, you Maggie's.
1: So, Newcastle United are now the footballing equivalent of those eager beavers you might see queuing outside a department store. Uh, at four in the morning on Boxing Day, absolutely desperate to get some business done. Uh, But are we in the right cues? That's the thing. Do we have sharp enough eyes and powerful enough elbows to snaffle the bargains that can be found in the post-Christmas hinterland? Uh, It feels like a buyer's market, and we might be off the mark very soon after the recording of this podcast, which is always the case, isn't it, Chris? They wait until we've done this, and then they announce something big. Uh, I'll try not to sound too nervous about jinxing this, but it looks like Kieran Trippier will be the first signing of the new era, Uh, and what a coup that are joining us uh, to talk about the La Liga champion and Euro finalist, the Athletics' England correspondent and Spurs writer, Jack Pitbrook. Hiya, Jack. How are you doing? Hey. Yeah, thanks for having me on. No problem at all, mate. Happy New Year. And to you too. And all the best for 2022. Uh, It's lovely to have you on. Thanks for coming on. I know you're a very busy man, so thank you for giving us your time. Um, And as a Newcastle fan, I have to say we'll have to be excited about this signing, and it's a great bit of business, especially if that transfer fee that's rumoured is accurate. What's your thoughts on this?
3: Yeah, I think Trippier is a really good signing. You know, I was thinking, I've been thinking about Newcastle in the context of Manchester City, and, you know, when the first January transfer window after Abu Dhabi bought City in 2008, they went out and bought established, established experienced players who could immediately improve the team. So that January window, they got Craig Bellamy, great signing. Shay Gibbon, very good signing. Um, Wayne Bridge, maybe not so good. Uh, and Nigel de Jong, who was also a fantastic signing. And those guys were able to, to come straight in and lift the dressing room with their experience. And they didn't need time to bed into the Premier League and they didn't need... Uh, you know, it was, it was a really smooth, brisk improvement after, after making those signings. And like, you know, City were in better shape in January 2009 than Newcastle are now, but Mm, they were still near the relegation zone. You know, they weren't, they'd had a pretty ropey first half of the season and those guys came in and really improved them. So I've been thinking a lot, like, who would be the equivalent to De Jong, Bellamy, Bridge and Gibbon for Newcastle this time? And Trippier really ticks the boxes because He's obviously, you know, he's got what four seasons of five seasons of Premier League experience behind him in Burnley and Tottenham. He's played in a Champions League final. He's played in Euros in a World Cup for England. He's uh pretty flexible. You know, he can play right back, he can play as a wing back, he's played left back for England. Uh he's just he's also like widely thought to be a really good and solid character. You know, Gareth Southgate's always big on picking players on character, and I think Trippier is someone who really you know England have got lots and lots of options at fullback. Let's not forget, but the fact that Trippi is one of his go-to guys. You know, playing him at left back in the first game of the Euros. You know, brought him in as a wing back when he changed the system. Uh, that goes to show how much Southgate really values Trippi's presence, his leadership, his experience. So, uh, you know, if I was if I was the people making the decisions at Newcastle United, those are probably the things I'd be looking for. Uh, so, as well as the fact that he, you know, he's a pretty good player as well, who's improved a lot. I think both at Tottenham and then again at Atletico. So yeah, I'd say uh, two thumbs
1: up, Chris. He's definitely better than, than than the options we currently have in the positions that he can play in, isn't he? And, and as a dead ball specialist as well, he's he's something that Newcastle have been crying out for for a long time. But let's be honest, why does Kieran Trippier want to join Newcastle now when he's in the Champions League with with Atletico? why would he want to come to Newcastle now? There's a good chance of us being relegated. Is is it a case of money talking or is it his long sort of well-known want to come back to England or is he just mad? What's what's the options?
2: <laughs> well, you've got to have a little element of being a little bit mad if you're going to come to Newcastle <laughs> at any stage. But the when when it first sort of became possible in, in November, really, when it first was sort of touted, that was my reaction as well. Although I know that Howe is very, very close to, to Trippier and has been very key. This is very much a Howe-led signing. A lot of the players are looking at this month have been brought, uh, scouted by the recruitment department. Uh, head of recruitment Steve Nixon has been influential. But this one is very much Howe-led. He worked with him at Burnley, signed him for Burnley and... For Trippier yeah, I think it's a, it's a mixture of a few different things. No doubt that the contract that Newcastle have offered, which is substantially more than he's on at Atletico Madrid and he's 31 years of age is part of the reason why he is attracted to Newcastle, but I also think he is enthused by the idea of potentially being the first signing of this new era, which in itself can be, can, can, he, can he can if he can help keep Newcastle up and then build uh, he's seen as someone who wouldn't just be to avoid relegation this year he's someone who actually he's just come from Atletico Madrid he won La Liga last season he's, he's a regular in the England side he would actually be someone who'd be a regular in the Newcastle side even if they were trying to compete for Champions League football the next few years and also that pull of, of coming back to the Premier League and his family when he went to Spain I think it was always the idea was always it was only going to be for two or three seasons last summer he was heavily linked with going back to Manchester United I think he was very keen to do that to come back to England to to be closer to his family, who have been based here, and Newcastle are giving him the opportunity to come back. So I think it's a very varying, different factors there. I do think it's a significant coup for Newcastle. I think it's a very astute signing, a very astute first signing, given all of when the takeover first happens and all the players Newcastle get linked to and and crazy ones all over the place. Kieran Trippier, I think, is a very very astute. Uh, shrewd signing, and if they can get this one concluded, as Touchwood at this stage we're at five forty-seven on Tuesday evening, we're very much expecting it to go through in the course of the next few days. If they can get this one concluded, then I think he's a very, very positive signing.
1: Jack, the the, the rumored sort of fees that have been flying round is anywhere from twelve million pounds up to you know up to thirty, depending on who you who you listen to and which Twitter feeds you follow. But whatever Newcastle pay for trivia the man's got quality, hasn't he?
3: Yeah, yeah, he's a really good player. You know, he's he's a very experienced defender. He's very he's very reliable. He's consistent, and the the thing that really stands out is is his delivery. You know, he's a fan. He's brilliant in the final third. He's great on set pieces and corners. Um uh, It's something that we've seen a lot of both for for Tottenham and a lot for England. You know, England have been very probably more reliant on him um, him than anyone else for set pieces and corners and free kicks over the last few years, obviously scored that famous free kick in the World Cup semi-final against Croatia in 2018. Absolutely. To be honest, a lot of people going into that tournament wouldn't have necessarily, I mean, Trippi had been playing quite well for Tottenham by then, but he was still, I think a slightly surprising pick uh, going into the 2018 World Cup, but his delivery from wide areas was one of the main reasons why Southgate wanted him in the team. And he's been, ma- he massively rewarded Southgate at that point. And Southgate has been very, very loyal to him in, uh, in the in the years since then, so I think final third is probably the biggest thing that Newcastle will get out of this, as well as a slightly more intangible, like leadership and experience stuff that I talked about earlier. And also, and one one other thing that's worth pointing out about Trippier is that he's not just. Sometimes when a club gets taken over and it's got lots of money and it wants to buy, you know, it wants to buy big names who play for big teams and, you know, someone. The, the point with Trippier is isn't just that, like, he was good in the World Cup and he's played in the Champions League final and he's won La Liga and all that. Like, he's also got, he's also done the hard yards, you know, he was at Burnley for four years, he's played in the Championship, uh, he knows what it's like to be a team struggling at the bottom end of the Premier League and trying desperately to stay up and all the rest of it. Yeah. So I wouldn't have... I don't think... I'm not saying he's not just there for the money because obviously the money is the main reason why a player would make this kind of move. But I also think he will kind of muck in and do the hard work as well.
1: This is the balance though, isn't it, that Newcastle have to try and strike in this window and it's going to be difficult because we need players of good quality, but we also need the right kind of characters who are going to be able to see us through what is, let's be honest, a really, really tough period. Um, Trippier to me seems like the kind of player who will get stuck in and will muck in and will do the hard yards because he's been there and he's worked his way up from Playing in those type of teams who've been relegation threatened every season and stuff like that, um, Chris. Uh, with regards to sort of a timescale on this, do we have any idea when this could get announced? I know you're saying in the next few days. There's people saying that he he missed training today for for Atletico. Is is this something that could be? Could, I mean, come on, what? The question I'm trying to ask you Chris is are they going to announce this before we get the podcast out?
2: <laughs> well I, I can't really give a definitive, definitive answer on that I mean as of as of just before we started to record the latest information I had was that it was very close but not fully done by that stage everyone expected it to be it wasn't that the people didn't think it was going to happen but it wasn't fully done all the reports in Spain are that it's even more advanced than we're sort of getting from this side there was reporting yesterday I think saying that in the next they, they said this afternoon the next 24 to 48 hours I do expect Trippier to come to Townside within the course of the next couple of days and potentially be announced by the course of the weekend. I don't want to put a time scale on these things because uh, <laughs> you can be burned by that before and it's very difficult. But it, 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 as as things stand, it, it, it is looking very positive. And I'm going to preempt what is probably going to be your next question. And I'm sure it's going to be every single Twitter question as soon as I put out that Trippier has signed, hopefully when he has, as to where they will go next. Mm. And I do think that next they will try and get in the centre back. They are. Try and for various different players. At the minute I don't know of anything that is close or necessarily imminent. That doesn't mean that it isn't. It's just that I haven't heard that specifically. But I do think centre back will be the next area they'll try and focus on because ideally they'd like three or four defenders by the end of the window, if possible.
1: Any news on Botman, Chris? No, 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 Botman. He's going to do. Like- <laughs> is that likely to happen or not?
2: Well, as things stand, Leel are sort of holding firm on this one. and He is Newcastle's top target as a centre-back. I think they're going to park that one for a little bit. Maybe he's come back to it later in the window. But for now, I think they're going to try and move on to other targets. What they would like, ideally, is... A ball-playing centre-back, someone who who can bring that sort of element to to the team. Botman would, would very much give that. Alongside that, if they were to sign another centre-back, I think they'd look for someone more of the sort of enforcer roles. But ideally, they want to let someone who can play on the left-hand side of of the of the, of the two centre-backs. So, Botman, I'd say not not for now, but I wouldn't completely rule it out. Fair player. Jack,
1: was were Spurs ever interested in Trippier coming back to them at any point? Was this something that they ever thought about, or or, or do we think that ship's sailed? Oh, it, well, it obviously has now, but.
3: Yeah, it's funny you should say that because they are looking, Tottenham are looking for an attacking right wing back, uh, in this window. You know, they signed Emerson Royale from Barcelona in the summer, who is a, he's a young player, he's very good defensively, works hard, doesn't really have the quality in the final third. I think I was at the game at Vicarage Road the other day where Tottenham won 1-0 through a kind of 97th minute set piece but one of the big stories of the game was really Emerson Royale not having enough quality in his delivery so tottenham literally want someone who can do what trippier does you know they want someone who in that 3-4-3 three, three, can play high up the pitch and put accurate balls into the box now i i genuinely haven't heard trippier's name linked with tottenham at all um and to be honest, at the price that Newcastle are paying, I don't think he'd be out of Tottenham's reach. Do
1: you think it might be an age thing with with Trippier? Mm, I maybe. Don't know,
3: maybe. I, don't, I think Conte doesn't mind the older players. Um, to be honest, my sense is that Trippier maybe wasn't delighted with the circumstances of his departure from Tottenham in 2019. So Trippier had basically been first choice right back from the... when. Kind of, Kyle Walker fell out with Tottenham towards the end of the 16 17 season. And then for the next sort of two and a bit years, Trippier was first choice right back at Spurs. But then by the end of the 2018-19 season, that's the season when Tottenham reached the Champions League final. I think it was kind of made clear to Trippier at the end of the, towards the end of that season that it was time for him to go. He nearly went to Napoli before he went to Atletico Madrid. Uh, Trippier has never spoken about this explicitly in public, but my impression from From my own research and from reading what he said is that I don't think he was, I don't think he particularly enjoyed that period at the end of his time at Tottenham where it was clear that Tottenham were, uh, were listening to offers for him. And obviously, you know, in a sense, it's ended out pretty well for him because he's, he's enjoyed what two and a half seasons in Spain. He's won a title. He's played for one of the best managers in the modern era. Great, you know, great club, great teammates, all that. So I think maybe, maybe if I was trying to interpret why Tottenham haven't gone back in for him, I'd say, Maybe it's for that reason. Although, like footballistically, Trippier does tick the boxes for what Tottenham are looking for this month.
1: Good stuff, uh, Chris. As well as uh, as well as kieran Trippier and Sven Botman and everybody else we've been uh, linked with uh, in the last few months, uh, plenty of outlandish rumours flying around. Pierre Emerick Aubameyang under another name that's popped up this week, hasn't he? And uh, is there any chance of him rocking up on the quayside side in his gold Lamborghini anytime soon? <laughs>
2: I think this one is highly, highly <laughs> unlikely. Is is what I'm told. I'm not. I, I'm not going to rule anything out because because of the fact that the given the situation Newcastle are in and, and just given the the fact that they do have such wealth behind them. But what I'm told is that they're not going to be going for players like Abamyang who are on absolutely crazy wages. I mean, Newcastle don't have a player who's on more than £100,000 yet. Kieran Trippier will uh, go above that if he comes in, but not in terms of he's not going to double or treble that. And I think that A, they see that as potentially being harmful towards the rest of the dressing room, if you have one player who's on significantly more than everyone else. And B, they don't, they, they don't really want a wage structure like that yet. They want to grow organically and to start increasing their revenues before they start to think about paying such substantial wages to players. And for someone like Aubameyang, who has fallen out of his club. He, yes he's, a, he's, he's obviously a quality player but he, he has been on the wane a little bit the last couple of seasons yeah. I don't think they're going to be going for players towards the end of their career who are, who are on astronomical wages coming in the likes of him and Coutinho I, ca- I can't see that one happen. I think it's highly unlikely
1: Anything to add with regards to transfers incoming or is there any outgoings on the, on the horizon at any point? I know Rodrigo Vilk has uh, gone on loan back to his native Peru, is that right?
2: Well he hasn't gone on loan yet no, I mean there is a chance that that will happen although subsequently since I tweeted this morning then I've been told that there maybe have been hiccups in that one as well so oh, okay. that there was a chance he was going to go back there and that may still happen but uh, in terms of senior outgoings, not yet although Newcastle are going to have to move players on because they have a full 25-man squad and obviously they want to bring players in I haven't got anything specific on exactly who Newcastle will bring in but as my understanding is they would like ideally four to six players by the end of the window, three to four defenders so uh, potentially another the left back, at least one centre back a midfielder and of course a striker to to cover the fact that Callum Wilson is out injured and then that may facilitate exits the likes of uh, Dwight Gale who I think they'll try to move on if they can sign a striker, Jeff Hendrick Uh, could well go Kieran Clark, and then the interesting one is Sean Longstaff and his position he obviously is in the last six months of his contract he can start speaking to clubs abroad uh, but equally there is still sort of a lingering interest from Everton and maybe a few other clubs domestically And, and if you'd asked me a month ago I'd have said I thought he would go this month now given the injury to Isaac Hayden, which is going to keep him out for around two months, yeah. maybe that uh, makes it more likely that Sean Longstaff will stay, at least for now, until they can maybe sign someone else. So, yeah, they're going to have to move players in. Now it's going to be a very, very busy month if Newcastle get what they want. Um, But, yeah, not nothing nothing specific beyond trivia just yet.
1: Fair play. Right, well, that's fantastic. Nice transfer round up there. Jack, thanks very much for joining us and for giving us your time. And thanks for that info on Kieran Trivia as well. My, my pleasure. Excellent stuff. Right, cheers for coming on. And if you are one of those people who just loves the drama, Mick, why not check out The Athletic's daily transfer podcast? The Athletic Football Podcast brings listeners a 10-minute daily show of exclusive news and transfer updates throughout January from the very best newsroom in the business. It's exclusive to Apple Plus users, and you can sign up now for a seven-day trial. Uh, subscribers to The Athletic will also be able to access the podcast via the app, 33% off at The
0: courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more.
1: So four points from five games in December. doesn't sound like a great return, but with the teams around us showing some pretty abject form, we're actually in a slightly better position now than we were at the end of November. Uh, well, we don't want to be seen to be making light of the reasons for our postponed games against Everton and Southampton. They were the more winnable fixtures from that spell. Uh, and let's be honest, the delays do benefit us in football in terms, don't they, Chris? The, the table at the minute, little mini leagues opened up down there, hasn't it? Five, maybe six teams all battling around that, that bottom four or five positions to see who can avoid relegation.
2: Yeah well there's actually there's four teams who are cut adrift of the rest and then yeah you, you look at Everton in fifteenth on nineteen Leeds are also on nineteen you could probably you could probably put Southampton still in there. Uh, I think I think uh, that fourteenth down really is, is where it is but those bottom four teams desperately need points and very quickly. It's it's interesting because Strangely, over the course of, of sort of December, the, the the way that so many fixtures have been postponed, not just Newcastle games, but but games elsewhere, I think there was a fear from from a lot of us that coming into January, the the potential for Newcastle to be cut adrift, and that might be the issue going at this stage. But because so many games have been uh, postponed, and because other teams haven't managed to pick up points, even though Newcastle haven't either, they are only two points uh, adrift of, of safety, albeit they're eight points adrift of of, of, of Fifth bottom, but still, that they are that they are still there or thereabouts. It may turn out to be three from four at the bottom, um, who go down, which was a similar situation that Newcastle faced in twenty fifteen sixteen. Unfortunately, obviously they ended end up going down. But if you'd have offered Newcastle this position ahead of the the games over Christmas, I think that. I'm not saying they would necessarily have taken it, but I don't think it's the worst possible outcome, given everything else that that has gone on, given the difficulty of those matches against the likes of, of Liverpool and Man City. Um, and so for them to be in this position now, it's not ideal by any stretch. But if Trippier does arrive and if they can get some of their signings in, by the time they face Watford a week on Saturday, that is massive. The Watford That's a big game, isn't it? Up, well, they've got Watford and Leeds and back-to-back weekends and they need at least four <sighs> points from those really. Ideally, they need six. If they can get six from those games, suddenly they can generate huge momentum and then now have time to prepare for those. Because as you say, although it's not ideal because they've had players that were COVID and injuries and so they won't have been able to train the whole time, they have Cambridge in the FA Cup on Saturday, and then they have the following weekend that Watford game, which all resources are now being focused on, understandably so.
1: And interestingly enough as well, the the, the bottom the bottom five only managed to put together two wins in December between them, and both of those were at Burnley's expense as well. Um, and, and and while Burnley do have two games in hand on Newcastle, you you would hope uh, that Newcastle would be able to leapfrog them at some point and get up out of that bottom three. That Watford game, like you say, that's going to be massive, isn't it? And traditionally, there's always a team who gets sucked back into the mire, isn't there, at some point after Christmas? And my money's been on Leeds since early in the season, getting sucked in there. But who knows? We don't. We don't know what's going to happen there. But the Watford game, Chris. That's. I mean, that's huge, isn't it? That that could be a turning point, couldn't it?
2: It is absolutely huge. I mean, you you say Leeds. I still think Everton maybe. May become that team. I just think there's, so, mm. there's so much turmoil. I think at Everton. I mean, they've made two very early signings yeah. this month, but beyond that, into it, just seems everyone is unhappy at Everton. Nobody's happy with each other, and so that yeah. that it seems dysfunctional. So they could get dragged back into it. But Watford is is absolutely crucial in my opinion. Newcastle can can leapfrog Watford for a start if they, if if they win that game and. The, the the form that Watford are in themselves, the form that other teams are in down at the bottom, if Newcastle can suddenly get a win and then go to Leeds, which is now looking like a very difficult game given Leeds won at the weekend, and is always a tough place to go anyway. But if they can go there having won at Watford, then suddenly, as I say, you can generate that momentum. And Watford have, to me, looked... Since Ranieri came in, I don't think there's been any improvement whatsoever. I think he's probably on borrowed time there as well. They they, they are quite happily and fire... Uh, very quickly and so Newcastle in some ways if they beat Watford then that may actually quicken his exit and that, that may not serve them well in that sense if they were to get the so-called new manager bounce afterwards but really that game is just it it, it, it is crucial I think it's crucial psychologically as much as anything else because if they can't beat Watford at home then given that we've they've already failed to beat Norwich at home, they've failed to beat Leeds at home, they've failed to beat Southampton at home, who are they going to start to beat at home? Already, Burnley's the only team they have managed to beat all season, so that, that Watford game I just think is absolutely huge.
1: And Chris, the, I mean, the green shoots of recovery have started to poke themselves through the manure that was the first half of the year. Um, and the performance against Man United, we haven't mentioned this because we haven't done a podcast since it happened, but I mean, that was an astonishing performance. Probably the best Newcastle have played this season, and the atmosphere and the ground, and and the way they the way they approached that game, and and the result in the end. Although, you know, a lot of fans probably wanted the win, and 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 I understand that. We have to say a point against Man United isn't isn't bad at all, is it? And the performance was a real plus. It
2: was a real plus. I I really I really felt for for Newcastle and how and all the players after that game because I thought they so definitely deserved to. To, to win that the, the the frustration was that obviously they just didn't take the chances I mean Alan Sam-Maximan hadn't scored the excellent first goal had <sighs> the, the point blank yeah. range where he hit it mm. straight at David De Gea De Gea made a wonderful save later on from from uh, Alan Ron yeah. Jacob yeah. Murphy at the post but there were other opportunities and you do get the impression or I do get the feeling that if if they hadn't lost Callum Wilson during the first half I think they would have won the game because I think Wilson would have scored that Sam-Maximan chance and he probably would have been oh, in that position absolutely. to receive it and yeah I mean Man United were awful but there's no getting away from that but I also think Newcastle contributed to that and made Man United bad I think that, they, that, they, that the way that they pressed from the off the midfield was excellent and Joel Linn, man
1: come on Chris Let's come on Christopher let's hear let's hear it for Joel Linn, and my god what a performance that was man of the match
2: Enjolo
1: Kante in there Enjolo oh my god have you come up with that
2: no, someone. I think it was my brother who texted me. I'd asked, yeah, I don't know if he came up with it or whether he got it from someone else as well. I'm going to nick it. Uh, but no, I thought. I mean, he he was he was absolutely superb. Uh, and and I agree. I echo Jamie Carragher's comments that for any midfielder in the Premier League, that would have been a wonderful performance. But alongside him, I thought Sean Longstaff was his best performance yeah. in a long while as well. The two of them really led that press. The intensity that they showed, mm-hmm. Very good. Um, and the entire team. I mean, there, there wasn't a single poor performance in that. And in in some ways. Although they had, they, I have they to were, say they were about Ryan
1: Fraser as well, Chris. I thought yeah. Ryan Fraser was excellent that day.
2: Yeah, probably his best performance. Never in Newcastle shirt, and um, and in some ways it was that. That's where I think there was as much as there's positivity generated from the fact that those games were postponed in Newcastle. Maybe you'll have a better opportunity later in the season when they've got players back and hopefully players signed equally. There was also that I, the fact they couldn't build on that performance going into going into the Everton game. There were so many players who who were in such a rich vein of form and having not played for a while, going into this new period of time. Maybe that's a bit of a, a frustration. But equally, I think it's a, I think I think that that they have there were so many positives to take from that game and the fact that they've had those. This two weeks almost to really focus on those and look ahead and how they can build on those. I think hopefully that'll give them extra confidence going at the Watford game as well.
1: When you mentioned the injury to Callum Wilson before, and obviously we talked about potentially um, you know strikers coming in in the window and stuff like that as well. The injuries are bad, but at least we've got a little bit of breathing room now and a, 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 an opportunity to bring those players in. Um, you know, we, we're we in a position where if we do need to go and buy a striker, which, you know, let's be honest, I think we do, uh, we have the opportunity now and the resources to be able to go and do it, which we wouldn't have had before.
2: Yeah, I mean, although it's not going to be easy to sign a striker this month, though, let's make no. no bones about it. And I think that of all the positions, that is where they were perhaps focusing least on going into to, to January before Wilson's injury. That they, they, they were maybe looking for a sort of younger backup striker at that stage but now it's become more of a priority and maybe it needs to be a little, someone a little bit more senior so I don't think they're as far down the line with that as they are with hopefully other positions but I mean Wilson we don't, we haven't yet spoken to how and had the, had the full extent of his injury it sounds like certainly until the, the latter part of January if not a bit beyond that they're going to be without Wilson and just the fact that he is susceptible to, to muscle injuries I think makes and the fact that he has suffered one makes it even more important that they do try and get uh, a forward in if they can but Even so, that the the, taking away that the lack of a sort of cutting edge in front of goal in that match, I think that we also we saw for the first time really what Howe wants from this side. I think we saw the first time. It's certainly against maybe an opposition who have a little bit more of the ball, the way Newcastle will try and play and the way that they can impose themselves on the opposition, even even an opponent who maybe is is more fancy than Newcastle, and that's what's encouraging. That You can see the sort of fruits of the labour there, and although they didn't get the, the win in the end, that really, at least the component parts are starting to fall into place, and there's something definitely to build on.
1: Absolutely. Well, fingers crossed. Uh, so an interesting aside emerged from the relegation battle on Tuesday afternoon when it was reported that Southampton had been sold to new owners. Uh, we've only just found out about that. Uh, but like the glorious machine that it is, The Athletic already have an article there with background on the new owners. Subscribers can read Dan Sheldon and Jay Harris's explainer. So if you aren't one, why not sign up at theathletic.com forward slash Newcastlepod. You'd imagine Eddie Howe will cut a rather relieved figure as Newcastle take a break from their stressful relegation battle by hosting League One side Cambridge United on Saturday in the FA Cup third round. It could be quite a surreal atmosphere for this one, uh, though tickets are selling fast and St James's Park is well on its way to capacity. But given everything else that's going on, it's not really an important game, is it, Chris? But it could be quite fun. It's a shot to nothing.
2: I don't know if it's so much a shot to nothing. I mean, if Newcastle were to lose against Cambridge, I think it would be crisis stations, because uh, even given everything that's going on. But it, it's. I think this is actually an interesting stage and in post in many ways, and it, and it sort of also shows that strange uh, sort of limbo period that, that, that the club is almost still in, in terms of transitional from one stage to another, because really... Uh, under new ownership you'd be going into the FA Cup campaign and thinking right this is a chance for Newcastle to really have a go and maybe they yeah. will decide that in the end I'm not 100% sure but really if you said to, to most Newcastle fans between now and the end of the season what is more important Newcastle staying up or them going on a cup run I think that most of them would go for the former and, and, and the chance for, for the club to really build from that stage so even though silverware is is a sort of medium to long term target of the, of, the, of the current ownership this game is probably it probably comes too soon for them in that sense because of the, because the Premier League has to 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 take precedence and that still that almost mirrors what we've had for the last sort of decade or so uh, in terms of cups being being less of a priority. So in that sense, it's it's an interesting sort of stage in poorest of a match. Although I think Eddie Howe has the opportunity now with the fact that Newcastle haven't played since the 27th and given that they've got a full week between the two matches that he can probably play a bit of it more of a stronger side than maybe he thought before because he needs his players to have football on the legs for a start, particularly those ones who've who've been absent for, for whatever yeah. reason and to get to get them some game time.
1: I mean, what do we think that team would look like, Chris? Is some of the younger players, maybe Elliot Anderson or something like that, maybe he's looking to feature in this game?
2: I think they'll be in the squad. I I wouldn't be surprised if maybe Elliot Anderson started, not necessarily definitely, but I wouldn't be surprised if he if he threw one or two of these sort of youngsters in there. But I think it'll be a pretty strong side. Um, I think that he I think that he'll want, as I say, want to try and to try and uh, get some football in the legs of the players before that Watford game. <laughs> you don't want players going in that match having not played for two and a half weeks. You you really important sort of players. So I think that. It'll be interesting to see whether someone like Dwight Gale features up front, given that he wasn't turned to immediately when Callum Wilson went off injured, or will uh, Sam Maximan I think probably will be fit, so if Sam Maximan is fit, will he play him through the middle, or will he change things around a little bit in a different sort of sense? I I, I generally don't know what the team's going to be yet, and I'm fascinated to see what approach he does take, because there are so many uh, unknown factors now because of the fact that they haven't played in such a while.
1: Yeah, and I mean, to be honest, I know we, we have a little bit of a funny relationship with the club competitions, don't we? And, and obviously the 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 approach has been long documented from the previous uh, regime. And I normally book a weekend away for for the FA Cup fourth round weekend because you know it's just pointless. Newcastle are not going to get through there. Um, but is there any update on what the cup kind of means to the to the club now? Is has anything changed with with the new owners? Is it something that they in the future I might look to? To to kind of go after because I mean I I'm, I'm still a bit I'm a bit of an old fashioned fan still but now I've got so much love for the FA Cup and still feel the romance that that surrounds it and I would love to see Newcastle lift the FA Cup
2: without doubt in future they will they will target the cups because it, I mean if you just look back at Man City for a start where did where did Man City's first trophies come from they came from the Cups and then they built on that to then go and win the Premier League and then start competing in Europe and I do think that you need to sort of learn to to win and that, that Cup competitions gives you that feeling and I, and so in the future Absolutely. they will undoubtedly target it this season I don't I think it might just come a little bit too soon I I think that they will expect and they should expect to win on Saturday and it will be very disappointing if they don't but then beyond that if it if it comes down to a stage where they have two games in the space of four days, and one of them's in the Premier League, and is it against a, an opponent who's in and around them in the Premier League, and then they have a sort of away game in the FA Cup, I think the focus this season will stay on the Premier League because of the perilous position they're in and because of the importance of staying up this season. But beyond that. Cup competitions, yes, definitely will, hopefully, that is at least what has been intimated and suggested, and it should be something that Newcastle should focus on, because I do think there are still opportunities to try and win Cup competitions, particularly... Um, that, that they're unlikely to be competing for the Premier League in the course of the next two, three, four years, whereas a cup competition is something you can probably win a little bit sooner.
1: I mean, to, to, to be optimistic, and Chris, and I know that's not normally your default setting, uh, <laughs> but to be optimistic, sometimes a decent cup run can breathe life into league form as well, can't it? We've seen that with some clubs in the past where a bit of a cup run can actually give them a little boost of confidence and help them in the league. It's, I mean, you never know, do you? It could be, it could be something that, that helps Newcastle United uh, rather than hinders them. I know the extra games are not exactly helpful, but um, if you start getting some of those players scoring goals and playing well especially the new players who come in it gives them a chance to bend into the team uh, it gives you a chance to blood some of the younger players through as well it could be a good thing, couldn't
2: it? Oh, yeah, definitely and it also I think that it's that idea of actually learning how to win again Newcastle are a club who... Oh,
1: absolutely, yeah. Have,
2: well, I mean they're a club uh, and a am for 14 years it became used to losing for the majority but certainly over the course of the last year I mean the record in... Twenty uh, and the whole of twenty twenty-one was appalling. There was a there was a uh, a thing doing the rounds on social media the other day about the the entire football league full calendar year table, and Newcastle was second bottom of it. Only Burnley were below them for picking up fewer points across the course of the entire year, and they conceded eighty goals in the Premier League. Uh, last year which was is the most ever in a, in a calendar year since it's been the Premier League so they need to learn how to win again if you can get a win against Cambridge yes it's, it would only be Cambridge but then if you take that on and then get a home draw against a championship team or whatever in the next round and it just gives everyone that extra bit of confidence and and, and you remember how to win you remember that feeling and it, and it can give you that momentum When you what Newcastle need is they need to string a few positive results together and if that can include the Cups then really that's a, that, that's exactly what they need so hopefully Saturday will be the first win of a few in a row
1: Mm, absolutely, ah, the FA Cup, 99, 2000 still stings uh, for those of us that can remember that far back or oh, were indeed born at that time uh, Chris, a quick update as well on the uh, the Dan Ashworth situation the, the Director of Football, the Technical Director, the Sporting Director, search, whatever you want to call it uh, there has been some news from the Brighton end of things, hasn't there?
2: Uh, yeah, Andy Naylor, our Brighton reporter, has uh, written today that uh, Dan Ashworth has now held talks with Newcastle, we knew he was going to hold talks that they'd been given permission to do but those talks have now taken place uh, the suggestion from Andy Naylor is that there, it, there isn't necessarily a decision going to be made imminently either from him or from Newcastle, their search is still ongoing for that director of football, they're speaking to other people, they have the third party uh, group who are working on that for them a consultancy group who are, who are focusing on that front, so it's going to take a little bit of time for, for that to be resolved, but Dan Ashworth is still there or thereabouts, and he has now held talks with Newcastle.
1: Lovely stuff. Well, there we go. Uh, that's it for today. Fingers toes and everything else crossed for that Kieran Trippier deal and more exciting transfer news over the next few days. Thanks very much, Chris, for your time. Hope you're well, mate.
2: Thank you very much, Taylor. Uh, all the best to everyone. And happy New Year to everyone. I can't remember if I said that at the start of the show. So I'll say it again.
1: <laughs> Lovely stuff. Uh, and make sure you check out uh, the Athletics Football Podcast uh, for some up-to-date transfer news in the next few days. Uh, and with all of that in mind, we shall be back next week. Look after yourselves. Cheerio.
0: an official partner of The Athletic.